Scott, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, back in Singapore time zone. I was just saying on the way in here that uh, there's been a few air miles of late and it's nice to be back at home. For how long are you here for? Uh, this week, at least. Okay. And then uh, there's, a, there's a few more weeks on the road coming up. So nice to be at home. So we're recording our podcast from Singapore. Yes. Why did you choose the Lion City as your base? Quite a few reasons. Um, it came to timing was key. Uh, so prior to my business now, um, I had a, uh, a partnership with some, uh, some exercise physiologists and a physio out of Australia. And we co-built what became um, one of all the largest player in our space, which was putting health professionals inside a workplace to deliver weight loss programs, health assessments, so point of care nurses all the way through the medical chain and injury prevention programs. And we had a, a really large team across Australia and New Zealand. We deployed some of them out to oil and gas rigs and up to Asia. Um, we built that to just under 100 staff, around, or there or thereabouts at the time, and that got picked up by a, a company in Australia. We sold that and exited it. And after that, I thought, look, if we could bring scale to what we did here, there's far more than 30 million people in the planet, planet between New Zealand and Australia. I thought, let's take a concept, leveraging technology, but those same systemized programs and protocols for health, and let's launch it up into the 3 billion in Asia and beyond. So that was really why Asia. And Singapore, I've got a family lineage back here. My mother actually worked at a hospital here before I was born. Okay. So there's, there's, a, there's a bit of rootage in here. Okay. So originally you're from New Zealand? New Zealand, born, bred, educated. Okay. But mother lived here before, then moved back? Uh, so physiotherapist, yep. Um, actually worked and tra well, trained in New Zealand, worked in Soweto in South Africa in the 70s. Okay. And then came to Singapore um, for a while as well. Uh, and then... Somewhere along the way, I was a glint in her eye, and, and here I am today. So it's nice to sort of repeat that. What do you think of New Zealand as a country? It's beautiful. Have you been? No, never. But I'm from Switzerland, and a lot of people say that it's uh, very similar to Switzerland, even more beautiful, except it's like the polar opposite on the planet. Oh, yeah, 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 dig, and you'll probably get there, you know. <laughs> Look, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic country, and, and a lot of the values that I think have been ingrained in me through growing up there, I, I, I just wish more of the world had it in all honesty, mm -hmm. um, but it's not without its trials and tribulations either. It's got its challenges at the moment and everywhere has, but um, it's a beautiful country. What was your childhood like? Oh, you should have been there. It was great. Look, I, I, I speak to a lot of people and I hear a lot, especially on podcasts and read books and, um, and through different careers, you have a lot of people that come through with ideas and run businesses or um, become inspirational leadership speakers because of an element of hardship through their growing um, growing up. And I didn't have that. I was okay. very run in the mill. I have a great family. Um, my parents are still together um, 40 years on. That, that's super interesting because it's pretty, it's pretty rare actually. And I, I have the exact same. Mm. And often you meet all these people could be friends or other entrepreneurs or even like, you know, girlfriends who all had like some really tough childhood. And you just feel like, I don't know, man, I, I, my childhood was great. And like, you almost feel bad about it. I never do. Like, okay. I, that's, 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 where, <laughs> that's where we're different. I, I've, I've, um, I, I'm very lucky in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that stems, or most of it actually stems from childhood. Um, we were taught to work. I've had probably more jobs than most people ever had. Okay. Um, we, we were semi-rural in, um, in our upbringing. So walking, cycling to school, I had to cross a golf course to get to my primary school. Like, stuff that a lot of people that live in a city would just 
think it's make believe. Mm. Um, so we had to work for what it was. We weren't brought up with um, with the trimmings, but we never went without. You know, we we were public school educated. Uh, my mother as a physio worked very hard, long hours. Dad was serial entrepreneur across a number of different businesses. Um, so we saw and we can model that ethic. Um, but we we always had you know access to sport. We were always educated, pushed to school and pushed to friends. So I've, I think it was a, a five star growing up. Did your parents also push you to work from a young age? to kind of make a bit of money or to kind of teach you, hey, like this is how life will be? Oh, my dad, definitely, um, to a degree. And, and I think it's one of the strongest qualities that he passed on. Um, mm. That we were, It was always about um, understanding the value of, um, of effort and reward. Uh, and so it was, it was never sheep stations. I mean, um, you know, hourly rates didn't really exist. It was if you did this, then, you know, you could do that. But it was always towards a structure. And I think that was a, it was a great lesson because I always had to work. What did you do, for example? Uh, What's well, the most memorable thing that you did that you think you learned the most from? Uh, look, I think I've still had the worst job that um, that most people I speak to and explain it to. I've never been topped. This was a university job, so, so put aside the you know the bar work or you know the store work that you might do at fairs and things like. There was lots of jobs growing growing up. The worst one I had was um, down in Dunedin in Otago, and when the fishing boats came in. We were, um, it, it was not on a clock, it was tidal and it depended on the, um, on the catch. So you'd get picked up sort of 11 o'clock at night, your shift would start anywhere between sort of 10 and one in the morning. And there was no clock on the wall purposely because it was uh, artificially lit, very bright, you know, LED lighting. And you stopped when the fish stopped coming. <laughs> and so I stood underneath this grate and the guys at the top on the, the level above would um, scale and behead and, and gut the fish and my job underneath that was wearing a plastic suit to sh to, to broom this into the wastage, wastage drain and so I was I smelt of fish for days afterwards but it was great money I think it was like $14 an hour <laughs> so what, what would you do with did you did you actually go to work to work or did you have like some things that you wanted to invest in or buy and therefore you said I'm going to do the kind of best paying job because I have this objective for example for me When I was 15, I wanted to become a DJ and I yeah. had to buy these DJ decks. And yeah. the best thing in Switzerland to earn money quickly, like good money, was to go work on construction fields. Yeah. So I would do 12 hours a day yeah. on construction fields, like building these houses. And it was really tough, yeah. especially I was 15, like I was with all these guys who were like 25, 30, making fun of me and like just like making me do like the worst shit. Yeah. But it was great. And I knew I was, first I knew... I was not like them, so I would just do that for a few weeks and then be able to buy my DJ decks and yeah. become a DJ. Yeah. And I had this objective, you know. So did you have a, did you do that for with a specific objective or out of curiosity or oh, fun, fun? Fun. You okay. know, I'm, uh, smelling, always smelling have fish. Been... It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know who your true friends are, right? <laughs> I'd say like, how many girls can I try to 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 flirt with or while while, while smelling like fish? And there's It's... the dichotomy: you need money to buy drinks, but. If you smell for a fish or like a fish too long, they don't come anywhere near you. So like, it was it was it was a means to an end. Like we, did, we never had sort of the silver spoon. Um, so if you wanted food on the table, if you wanted to go and um, see a concert, go to a sporting match, if you wanted to play, you know, rugby was a big thing in New Zealand. Um, fees didn't come for free, so you had to. There was there was a cost of living, and it was supporting that. Um, but that revolved around socialising, as a majority. So let's start with a bit of background. What are the 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 few key turning points in your life that define who you are today? 
sequentially, I'll try and try and bring some order to it with some chronology. Uh, leaving home certainly um, was a big part of me as a self-development tool and going to university away from um, the the guidance of the parents. I was um, I was young and uh, and reasonably talented at martial arts, taekwondo to start with. Okay, and I became the youngest black belt in New Zealand at the time. So uh, I remember being on stage. We did a big national TV demonstration. We had the Korean team come over, and that's when we saw true professionalism. Um, but I was picked up to then start training for, and this is the age of eight years old, to train for the 2000 Olympics, which ended up being in Sydney. And so as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, starting to go through these very strict regimes and protocols for performance, and that was single focus. My lesson that came from that just a question. So, yeah. they, so they will kind of scout you or see, okay, this kid has a lot of potential yep. and will train him yep. for years. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, because what's, what's the, what's the youngest I age? Would have been, I would have been 18, so, 18 at the Olympics. So 10 so years of training. 10 years. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So after going through that for, uh, um, probably the early stages, a couple of years, my, my dad actually pulled me out under, unbeknownst to me and just said, look, my childhood was becoming a training regime and that was it. And so I would not have played rugby. I would not have had a social life. I would not have studied. And he could just see where that train was going. And thankfully him and my mother pulled me out. So um, I was never going to be a gold medalist. It wouldn't have been a dream of mine anyway. And so they let me have a life. And that's why I'm at this table is because he made the bold call to pull me out of that track. After how long? Uh, I couldn't tell you exactly, but I, th I think it was probably a year or a couple of years. Okay. Okay. Because they felt what they felt that it was way just too risky. Like you just go all in on that, that's young. And therefore, like, if it doesn't work out, you have wasted all your childhood and your Correct. like formative years. Correct. Yeah. 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 There's, too, there's too much, there's too much to lose for that. And, um, I think that the, that's, that's one of the learnings that I got is that it was a bold move and it was against all of the guidance and the advice and the encouragement and the sales that went inside that regime. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't have had a life. I wouldn't have had anything outside breaking boards, training, um, and, and doing rhythms. So, um, I, I think that's a really good lesson for me is that to always look up, keep your head up, look for the, the forest through the trees. And it was, a it was a great outcome, but also a great lesson. And it becomes a calculated risk that you take in the information that you have. Um, and then you've either got to back yourself and go through it or, um, come up with a contingency or a plan. And I think that's, not just limited to sport. And, and it's very hard for a 10-year-old, you know, 11-year-old to choose a career. You know, it's crazy too. Yeah. That's why you need good guidance. So, okay, so you stop that and then? Well, I, got to, I got to be a kid. I played, tennis was a great sport of mine as well. And that was where I actually probably performed the best um, in, uh, you know, age grade tournaments, played nationals and things. And um, Again, New Zealand and relative performance levels was nowhere globally, um, mm. but it was a it was a great process to go through. Yeah. Um, introduce the the concept of individuals and team, the individual and a team sport. Very very interesting one actually, especially with tennis. Yeah, you're alone. The reason why my dad was pushing me so hard on tennis, he was just saying, "You're too good in everything you do. Mm. In tennis, you will always have someone who is better than you. Mm. Therefore, I want you to continue that." not to become a professional, but because you're always going to have someone who's like much better than you and you, you have to, everything is too easy. So you have to, to develop your character. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then, whereas 
I was playing a lot of football too. Yeah. And football, it was more like, ah, oh, we lost today because this guy is shit yeah, or this guy yeah, didn't yeah, play yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And so it, you can always blame someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, similar, you know, we, and, and team tennis sports, if you're playing states or province or, or, um, or districts against each other, it can't just be one star player and the rest that, that are being carried because the points matter. Mm. Um, and I was like you, but with rugby and that's a religion down there yeah, and, you know, played reasonable level, but was never going to be a Daniel Carter, uh, which was my position. So thanks to him, he ruined my rugby career. Um, and, but you have to figure out a team and the camaraderie that goes with it. And I think the lesson that I love most about that is that, you know, you get beaten and you go through pressure moments, you get physically hurt mm. and there's nothing better than being in a situation like that with camaraderie and teamwork around you. And they pick you up and they pat you on the back and they encourage you and get you back out there. And where else do you get that? Mm. Where else do you get that? Because when you're an adult, you go to work, you come up, you can get beaten up, not, not necessarily physically as much, but you need team around you in a lot of ways. And it's, uh, it was a great, again, another great lesson from the sports field. Yeah, if you think about it, like kids are much more resilient than most of the adults. No, oh, because they Cause don't know any just... different. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it's been really hard to get you on this podcast. Been trying for months because you're traveling all the time, all over the globe, but you yet look really good. You look young and fit. What's your secret? I think you've been drinking before this podcast, have you? <laughs> Only the water. I've waters. been drinking water. I'm going to say what's in this bottle. No, but um, do you do sports? Do you do meditate? What do Because with this crazy lifestyle that you have, especially in six months, even, even more traveling all the time, what do you do to, not, to stay sane? Uh, I trained in exercise physiology. That was my degree. And okay. uh, there's, there's always been a very conscious uh, process around daily life, whether it be to play sport. And it didn't matter if it was a bat or a ball or a track or a field. I was into it as a kid. Just loved it. Could not get me off. Yeah. Um, and then going through to university, I, I followed that passion into, uh, into exercise physiology. And the, the ability to be around the body, musculoskeletal systems, um, performance, rehabilitation, pathologies, loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And byproduct of that is that you're very conscious of what goes in and what goes out. Mm. And um, I'm actually very lucky again. I'm very lucky as a guy. Um, I enjoy the process of exercise. I enjoy that, that, that feeling of flogging your body and and then just feeling exhausted at the end. Afterwards, yeah. It's a process thing for me. It's not an outcome. Thing, like, yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, traveling, uh, I've just been in the Middle East for the last fortnight, uh, five times a week, mixture of, of gym and, and treadmill running. Um, and now as, as the body's getting more stiff uh, and the earlier injuries are starting to come back, you know, more mobility, more flexibility, and, and you just got to be conscious about it. But I'm lucky I enjoy it. When do you do that? Morning? Evening? When do you find the time? Because people always say, oh, I don't have time, which is obviously an excuse because an hour a day or 45 minutes a day, whatever you can, but like, when do you do it? Yeah. Especially, I mean, you've built your, we'll talk about that later, but we, you've built your own company. Uh, now it's a, a huge one, but like listed on NASDAQ. So even if it's your company or you're the CEO, too many people depend on you. So your schedule is very tied to other people's schedules. So you, it's even easier mm. to have the excuse of, I don't have time because yeah. there is always something else. So yeah, like, yeah. how do you deal with that? Time's a choice, you know, and that that's just a, 
everyone's got the same amount of time in a day and time management. I don't know where this came from, but years ago, no one manages time. It's a, it's such an oxymoron. It does not work because everyone's got the same amount It's what you choose to do with that time. That's, mm. that's different. Now I'm lucky that one of my enjoying enjoyment processes is exercising. Um, and so for me, it's usually afternoon at the moment, but that's changed. Interestingly enough, I used to always be up at five 30 in the gym, done desk by eight. Um, coming to Asia taught me that, no one gets to their desk by eight. <laughs> you can't do anything with anyone outside of your own office because the the culture here is not to get started at 8am, which it is in other parts of the world. Mm. Um, so that's shifted. I'm now, now an after worker and it gives me a reason to try and clock off. Um, and so I've got a window where I'd also try and have dinner with my children. I've got three kids, um, twins at seven and a five-year-old. And so dinner's a bit earlier in the day, but if I can get to the gym or go for a run or do something physically, um, and try and hit the dinner table six six thirty. Then, then that's a win. Awesome. You work really hard. How much do you work? I work a lot. I work a lot. Um, I do have a good discipline though. That um, I've my twins are seven years old now, and in their first year, um, it was very easy. Um, a lot of people have built and are building businesses at the moment. Know that you're always on. It's very difficult to go you know what, I'm not going to work today or I'm taking annual, your brain doesn't yeah, stop. Your brain is nonstop. You become a zombie. And, and that reminds me of the scene in the Wolf of Wall Street, but uh, that's probably for another podcast. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. Oh, you know, when he's, when he's, when he's, um, he meets Matthew McConaughey at the start and he's like at the table and he's getting yeah. these ones and he goes, you know, I, uh, uh, every time I think about money, when I'm coming, I think about money. That's hey. when you know you've made it. So that, <laughs> that's, that's where I go with that. Um, and now you've sidetracked me and derailed me. Uh, oh, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> back to the boring yeah, stuff, yeah. the business stuff. So he, the, the first year it was um, into the office early and then home after the kids were in bed. And I missed pretty much the first year of those two little souls, mm -hmm. um, Monday to Friday. And then things creep into the weekend. And before you know it, 12 months goes by, you've missed the, the, the magic mm -hmm. of that period. And you're probably not that much different as if you had been more purposeful with some of your times. And so I just made some purposeful breaks, started working into the evening rather than working through to 7.38. I would get home, come and see the kids, see my wife, and um, then pick things up later after that. So I just made a shift and that was really, really purposeful. So did you have complaints from your wife? Again, I'm lucky, right? I'm, I'm the world's luckiest guy. Um, very supportive. Her father also ran his own business. Okay. So understands. Okay. Um, of course, there's times where it's like, hey, do you really need to be doing that right now? But it was never, do you really need to be doing it at all? And so um, very supporting in that respect. I, I, need, I feel like I need to find some shit to give you, don't I? <laughs> like, it's just too easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you say you're lucky, like that's something to be, to be cherished because there's a lot of people who have a much uh, harder life. So <laughs> no, so why is... Why is technology the next frontier in the, in the health sector? And why has health been kind of one of the last kind of industry being impacted by technology? Uh, I don't know if I'd agree with that particular bit. Is, is it as transformed by digital yet compared to other sectors? Absolutely mm -hmm. not. Uh, but if you look at what an MRI machine has done to healthcare, okay. yeah. right, it, it has it's recalibrated that we used to, you know, go and see a doctor who 
it was basically witchcraft. And the, you know, then we hit the fifties and sixties and the GP would prescribe cigarettes. We are so much past that now. And technology has been a big enabler for that. Where we're going, I think there's a, um, a consumerization of medical technology, which is happening. And you've kind of got two ends of the spectrum at the moment with med tech, which is think of an MRI machine or X-ray, you know, invasive scanning, arthroscopic surgery, all of, all of that area is fascinating. Mm. And you need technology for that. And then you've got the other end, which is consumer, you know, historically wellness, a bit of pop psych, you know, it's, it's what's it actually doing for you. And there's a blending of those two capabilities. MedTech is becoming more user-centric. It's becoming more um, intuitive to use because it has to be, because we don't have enough health professionals anymore to deal with the health needs of the population yeah, with absolutely. 8 billion people. Absolutely. So, so we need that other end of the spectrum to equally mature and come closer to med tech in the way that med tech is coming closer to consumer. And so we've seen the evolution of the Apple Watch, Fitbits, Garmin's. We've got connected rings now, which I think is, is a brilliant piece of technology. The, Do you have one? Yeah. Yeah. This thing's exceptional. Is this an aura ring? It's an aura ring, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have yeah. you tried the Whoop also? Or like, how did you get into it? I couldn't how find you decide? that damn thing in Singapore. It would, it's the same. It I, wanted, it. I, wanted to, I wanted to order it. And I was like, yeah. it's like a year and a half. And I'm like, ah, oh, to, to deliver it here, like, is a, is a nightmare. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So the... What do you use that for? Sleep primarily. Okay. And, and, and since using it and being a, a, a bit of a sort of a geek for the physiology and the, and the, and the body and the mind, I reckon I've added about an, just under an hour every night to my to my total sleep and quality of sleep as well, just by looking at different patterns and things on this. So again, I, I, I drill quite deeply into this stuff and it's both a passion and a profession. Um, so the, I, I think the, pull myself back into there, we've got this, this consumerization of med tech and we've got a, um, a maturing of, of consumer tech. And there's this ground in the middle here where we're going to be able to augment society because healthcare's on a road, we're hiding to nothing. There are mm. budget modeling that have been done, and I've seen these in um, parts of the world where within the next decade to 12 years, um, sovereign budgets or, or state budgets cannot afford healthcare at this current rate, let alone anything else. So you're spending all the rocks in the bucket on healthcare. You still can't solve that problem, but you don't have infrastructure. You don't have security. You don't have education. Like We are doomed if we don't use technology, if we don't bring some more intelligence into the way that we deal with it. We're getting sicker younger. We're living longer and it's costing us too much. So we've got to get ahead of that curve and we need an ecosystem of players to do that. It's not a silver bullet, never is with healthcare. So what does the future look like in 10 years? Is it like we have these applications that are AI powered? 100%. Where basically we can understand pretty much everything about ourselves and, how, and not only kind of like the current state of my DNA and body and everything, but I get like actual recommendations, like concrete recommendations on everything of what to do to, to get back into the, I guess, benchmark mm. of where I should be at if I'm a certain age and a certain, yeah. you know, race. And yeah, yeah. Look, uh, it's not a click moment. It's going to be a, a blend and an evolution. And it's not one or two things that come to, but we're not, an app's not going to solve this. Because the problem of all this stuff, I'm I also, I'm fascinated by biohacking and all these different things. Yeah. And one of the things I did was a food sensitivity allergy test. Yep. You can do this DNA test. Yeah. The problem is everyone is different. Yeah. And so there's not like, like it's so, everyone is so different yeah. that everybody needs to try different things. And, and therefore like, it's very complicated to build something that's not human. Yeah. That's going to recommend 
be able to recommend everyone when everyone is so different. Yeah, yeah. And and this is the problem that many people and many corporations are trying to solve. Um, I, I'm pretty simple view of of a lot of things. Um, now, I'm of the belief here that we do have enough healthcare money to to do what we need to do to de to deal with the congenitally ill um, or disadvantaged, to deal with the acute accidents um, and you know palliative late stage chronic very unfortunate circumstances and support um, chronic requirements if we're smarter with what we do. So I, I believe that there is enough money. We don't need more money. We just need to use it differently. Um, secondly, is that I find that if you asked every single person on the planet, what is one thing you can do to improve your state of health? They'll all give you a right answer. Just let that sink in for a second. So if every person knew one thing that they could do differently, then they would improve their health. Now, then describes a problem not of knowledge or information or data. It solves a problem of motivation or state of mind. Why do you think, because there is a big health crisis pretty much everywhere, why do you think people, despite knowing what they should do better, still don't do it, even young people? I think the, the, another form of that is that we're seeing some buy now, pay later crises. You know, you've got people that are coming into a holy shit moment because they can't afford the basics because yeah. they've got all the, all the fancy stuff, you know, and, and not to bring, you know, old world and definitely not that old, but, you know, we didn't have access to that. Lay-by was the most modern form. You needed parents approval. You needed all sorts of things. So you just saved up. You saved up for things that you wanted. It wasn't as readily available. We didn't have that instant gratification availability that we do today. And because of that, yeah. there were different values and different methods. Now, the same thing is with healthcare. If you go out and say, why do you think six-minute abs took off so quickly? It's because I have to put bugger all effort in and I can look amazing. So if it was a pill, people would take it. But it's actually a bit of discipline. It's a bit of hard work. Sure, there's some sequential knowledge and some timing and things that come with it. But... At the end of the day, we know something that we can do to improve. I need to drink less coffee. I don't need to drink it late because I'll sleep better. I need to drink more water because mm -hmm. I'm dehydrated. I've got, I've got so drink cloudy, water now because cloudy I, thought pattern. Are you, I never do. Are you sure that's water? Um, so we're, we're trying we'll to solve- We'll see that in uh, 30 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're, we're trying to solve a um, kaleidoscope of issues and we need to be coordinated and find some harmony and ability to do that. Now, what works for you, Kevin, is going to be potentially different to me, although I think we're wired quite similarly. Um, the, the single mum out there that needs to put food on a table in an affordable fashion, that's running three gig jobs. Um, you know, that, that's a different situation entirely. Yeah. Um, but, but, and the, the big but here is that if we can get ahead of it and if we can get the healthcare professionals intervening at the right stage, um, and leaving some of the other stuff to machines, computer science, AI, ML, then we've got a fighting chance of getting ahead of this. And I do believe that we're at the technology maturity inflection point that that time is, is now. So you said in the beginning that you were in Australia building a business that then got acquired. Mm -hmm. You were saying we, we, we. Is it something that you built Or you were part of co-founders co of the company. Yep, yeah, co-founder. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I want to know now basically about your startup journey, how the whole thing started until where you are now. Yep. So I came into a, an, an established team in the very early stages, um, and then we built this business out to become national, and then over to New Zealand and and sending stuff out out outside. So um, I was one of the 
um, the four equity partners and, and therefore directors and, and co-founders of the business. Now that, uh, when, when that company was acquired, it was a cleaning the slate. Now, um, again, lucky got good business partners, good people to work with, and they're still very, very dear and close friends of mine, um, off doing other things, That's just amazing. cannabis, so first, all sorts of things. So first co-founders, good ones, no problems, still friends. Cause often that's, a doesn't happen that way. Well, I, th I think again, you, you put yourself in the right position and you learn and experience is pattern recognition. Just you, you get to figure it out earlier and earlier because you've seen it more and more often. Um, and there's good traits and there's bad responses and you just figure out your playbook in that. And you've got to earn trust. You've got to earn the right to ask for things. Um, and if you can do that in a, in a way where you're all coming from the same page, you're all trying to do the same thing at the same time. Um, that's where strategy, communication, that's where planning, that's where leaning on people's strengths and, and giving up the reins at certain times, that all has to happen. Now, if you get that right, that works. And, and again, that was a, it was a great, it was a fantastic journey. I was given an amazing opportunity and uh, it set me in and, uh, and now sort of my family and my story up to be where, where I am at the moment. So this first company is Welltech or is the thing that happened before? No, no, no. After selling that previous business. Exactly. Okay. Um, was How old were you when you developed this first company? Uh, or how young? Mid-20s, mid I think. Early, early to mid-20s. Okay. Um, that's when, when I came involved. We started, grew, exited that late 20s. Okay. Um, that was an eight-year journey. So wow, early okay. 20s to late 20s. Another night... Uh, An eight years overnight success. They all are, you know, <laughs> they all are. They all are, exactly. <laughs> and then moved up to Singapore on, this, on the idea that, um, you know, I'll give Singapore a go for, for two years and then come back to Oz because it was a pretty good place. Um, Move to Singapore with the idea of starting something else? You had yeah, yeah, a concrete I, I, idea of yep. starting what you wanted, right? So okay. started the company in, in Australia and then incorporated the company up in Singapore. Okay. Um, with a view to get out of Australia for reasons of scale, access to decision makers, proximity to large populations. Um, there was an influence of non-compete in there, but you know, very, very different okay. business style. So okay. when I say there's a range of reasons why to get out of Australia and to get into Asia, that there were a few. Um, and this place has, has been in the large part, a fantastic place to, to grow, to learn, to, um, you know, to go for those processes that you do of building a business. And, and you know, we've been able to take that idea through to a public listing in Canada, to a trade sale, to now be AHI NASDAQ listed. Uh, and it's all been from Singapore as a base. So you talk about public listing, about this uh, second uh, overnight success. How long was it, like nine years, 10 years? Well, the that company that I brought up here was incorporated in October, 2013. Okay. Um, there was a name change from that to Welltech. Um, and that's, that's a learning, you know, you put a bad name on a company and it's a disadvantage, <laughs> thankfully recognized it. And, uh, and Welltech sat far more comfortably in, in both the, the team's mind that we were building and also customers and that helped. So that company then acquired a company in Canada in late 2021, uh, sorry, okay. early 2021. And we listed in the, um, CSE, the Canadian Securities Exchange, uh, early 2021. So why do you take a, a company public? What's a good moment 
or why do I'll tell you when not to do it as March 2021 when capital markets tanked. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, we we have seen the decline of you know a, a substantial period in public market history, not just small cap or mid cap, not just health tech sector, but capital markets. And and to give you a comparison, um, just as we were. Um, listing, there was an acquisition by one of the largest, if not the largest at that time. So Teladoc, um, they acquired Livongo for $18.5 billion to give a, a, an early to mid 40s million, a billion dollar market cap. That company today sits under four. So the sector has been chopped by 90% yeah. at least. Yeah. And we rode that wave. It was a, ra- a, wa- a, a wave down in market cap. Yeah, because... I think like the top of the market was about like November 2021, something like that. And then you had all these crazy rate, uh, like rate hikes, which completely destroyed the, especially the, I mean, obviously crypto, but like all the the technology sector a lot. Like we've we've seen that with uh, most of the tech companies, the big ones too. Uh, I think, I think, I mean, WeWork is a bit of a, a, a special example, but like they are like minus... 98% 98% something like that. Well, there's, there's so, one that's real time in our space at the moment. And, and I find this as a, I think we work as a bit of a Kodak story. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. any, speak to anyone with an MBA, which I don't have, but one of the first case studies is Kodak. They were front runners inventing the digital camera and then didn't believe in it. And uh, they are where they are. We work as the same grow, grow at all costs that that model doesn't work for most businesses where there's been an overcorrection is that foundations um, and and good solid companies earning money have have been thrown out with the bathwater mm-hmm. um, because not every company is bad not every company is a um, uh, is a as a grow or die you know growth at all cost type company um, and so we're going to see that rising tide bring a lot of businesses back up in the public markets um, the, the question that you did ask though was why yeah. Why public markets? I think a couple of reasons. I, I think that we we had an opportunity with um, acquiring a um, a piece of technology up in Canada um, that was very interesting to us, very complementary, and helped us bridge a lot of the sort of wellness and consumer tech space into a medical domain. Now, if you can bring medical credibility and accuracy, scalability, um, sorry, into the scale and the consumerization of, of wellness technology, IoT, um, passively collected data to then understand an individual to encu- encourage those behavior changes at the right time in the right manner, then that works. Mm-hmm. And so there was an opportunity to do that that then led us towards a, um, a public listing. I had very supportive and, and um, great shareholders at the time, Singapore-based, um, that were also supportive of that. So that made that process really easy. So there's that opportunity side, but also the the VC community down in Australia, and and I, I I can't really comment on Singapore at the moment, but my experience with it from the previous sort of nine, eight, seven, six years ago, it's not that mature. Okay, because I wanted to say you could raise debt, you could raise equity, private equity, or you could raise public capital um, market money, and therefore you went for the for for the latter. And so is it, why? Is it because it's easier? Is it because, uh, like, because I, I, th- yeah. I think a bit of both. And, you know, you, you also are a, a, a bit of an engine from the guidance that you have around you. And um, there, there's opportunity when you, when you see geographical expansion, complementary technology on the other side of the world, access to capital that we did have going through that process, that made a lot of sense. When mm. you couple that together with, as a B2B business model, you have 
um, retail recognition of the brands of the customers that you're that you're bringing forward as technology and in that same business model we had access to regular news which is important so we we had all of the right ingredients uh, we just didn't realize that there was going to be this landslide in capital markets so there's all these positive and benefits of doing that but obviously you're a public company which is also comes with a lot of with a lot of i mean difficult difficulties mm -hmm. So how, how has your life changed since your company went public? Look, in, in a lot of ways, it hasn't changed much at all. Okay. Um, I think that there's some, again, foundation or some, some mandatory disciplines that any good business should have. You know, you, you should have reporting, you should have um, systems and process and monitoring tools. Um, whether your shareholder is a long tail of thousands of retail investors or a, a single VC investor or high net worth, a lot of those pieces of information and um, operational rigor remain the same. And, and from very early on, that's what I put in place is that we were going to have um, very mature systems around that. It doesn't always work out like that, but the, 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 the quest and the, and the process was always around that. So going public actually is not that different. Okay. Yeah. So basically it's because you've done everything kind of right and serious before that the change is not huge. Whereas for a lot of companies that might just say like, oh, we prioritize growth and everything, but internally all the systems and internal systems and going to matter more later, then that's a big change for them because they need to be much more transparent on everything they do once they go public. And who's right and who's wrong, you know, because there's, there's companies that have been ideated, established and have grown to billions of dollars into the time that, that I've done and, and my team has worked with me to do. Um, and so I'm not saying our formula is correct or right by any means. Um, it worked though. So uh, there, there was a, uh, I suppose, a maturity coming out of a previous business where we had um, things that worked. Like that company built, grew, got sold. It was a great multiple. Everyone did well. So it was a rinse and repeat, repeat approach, um, <laughs> filling the gap of the lack of technical knowledge. Um, and early days, it was like, how can you run a technology company without the slightest idea of technology? And I actually think that was an advantage and still do believe it's an advantage um, because you don't know the limitations a lot of the time. So you go out and do it and you'll be surprised what happens when you push people. Is it something that you actually pushed in the kind of people you were hiring saying, hey, uh, I'll prioritize people who are completely outside of the, the technical uh, no. space or, or you still want to have some experts in the field too? No, I was outside the tech space and, and um, the... Um, my co-founder at the time, again, no idea really yeah. of technology. So we included people in our team and our recruitment and our partnership strategies to bring that expertise. Okay. So it's one thing to say, hey, I can do this and figure it out. Now, when you're talking about code and data strategy and things like you're on a hiding to nothing. But if you're saying to that set of expertise, whether it's an individual or a group to say, this is what I want and I think you can do it. Can you try? And can you keep going? Now, Try that again. If that's not working, try. And because you don't know what, what normal is, you can push some of those boundaries. And we had some cracking early results. And I think it's because we didn't know. Mm. So you went public in Canada and Australia, I think? No, no, no. So we, um, it was a, uh, an RTO listing on the CSE, Canadian Securities Exchange. Okay. Uh, we then established uh, an OTC company um, on the QB uh, and then... Uh, after about 18 months or so um, with a, a long-term partner and good friend of mine, 
um, we came together and, and sold that CSC company now to be AHI, which is ASX and NASDAQ listed. So basically you sold a public company to another public company? Why not, right? So, okay, How hard so, can it be? So why? <laughs> so, so is it something that happens often? Uh, it's the first time I've done it, certainly. Um, it's a well-trodden path in a lot of ways. So that the transactional structure and the instruments used you know, it's legal and accountant world that they can do with their eyes closed. Um, there was complexity being that we were US Canadian listed. They were Australian and US listed. Um, okay. So th there's a bit of work to do, but it's work. It's, um, it, it wasn't trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel by any means, but we had, we had some good bills to do it. <laughs> so your company is now listed on the NASDAQ. Yep. What does this mean to you? It's the biggest audience for a technology company. And the concept of people say, look, why NASDAQ? But you put a profile on the NASDAQ and you say, we're solving one of the world's biggest problems right now in contributing to better healthcare. We are a piece of technology that provides accessibility equitably to people that don't otherwise have it. And we can put that into a profitable state very quickly. We don't need hundreds of millions or billions of dollars and so if you can put a scalable piece of technology, which is relevant to all of the world's population, and you're not introducing anything else for them to buy because they've already got a mobile phone in the large part, we've got 6.6 .6 billion smartphone users on the planet. Mm. Now, out of eight, that's a pretty good ratio for a total addressable market. If you can put a profitable piece of technology on that smartphone for that many people, um, and we can do it at a unit price that is accessible to a series of payers or a single payer, you're going to the moon. So the NASDAQ is the right place. It's the most mature um, market for investors that we're seeking. And it understands the type of business that we're building on technology and data, which you could argue that other exchanges certainly don't. Okay. What's your relationship to money and wealth? It's a good one. It's a good one. I think um, I like it. Um, I, I respect it. And, but also don't, it, it's not the master of everything to be done. And, and this is where I'll probably use the analogy of process as well. So, um, you know, do I like nice things? hundred percent. Do I like going to places that few people go to or that are postcard type images? Look, I'd be great. I'd be absolute bullshitting you if I said, no, I yeah, do love course. that stuff. Of course. Um, but there's also a process element around what I do, which it doesn't need to be. I don't have to have 10 Lamborghinis. Mm -hmm. One would be nice. You know, <laughs> so you have a Lambo? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. But my, my son actually came back from show and tell at school just this week. And uh, for some reason, he had a, he now has a picture of a Lamborghini on his wall. Never put a picture on his wall before in his life. And the first one he puts up there is a Lambo. Is there a moment in your life where you build wealth and you actually spend money in something that you thought afterwards that was stupid or not necessary? Oh, look, definitely some, uh, you know, you come back from a, a, a big holiday and you might have overindulged or a big night out and you're going, jeez, did I really spend that much money? I don't even remember spending that money. Um, but, but nothing substantial. The, you know, again, I came from um, fortunate but relatively humble beginning. So we never had exuberance of money to go out and waste or to go and, um, uh, and throw around. And, and I think New Zealand's by culture uh, are quite a, um, quite a frugal society. Yeah. So that, 
That's yeah. very interesting because it's similar to Switzerland. And I have the same, like a bunch of friends who made a lot of money, but who come from other countries and or, or who didn't have money at all. Mm. And they're now completely overcompensating. Mm. Mm. Whereas like if you come from a more, you know, simple background or and you got like good values from your parents, like very simple values, you just realize like, Actually, and you don't need that much to be happy and yeah, money's yeah, not going to yeah. make a massive difference, except yeah. in a few moments where I can just enjoy yeah. much more than I could otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like I should start making up stories because this sounds very boring, <laughs> isn't it? This is bullshit. I need to, need to come up with too, something for you. You're almost too balanced <laughs> out. <laughs> so money didn't change you as a person, nothing. Or is there a moment where you just said like, oh, like now I'm going to, you know, start to do a few things that I wouldn't do before. And then, and then you realize, oh no, actually this is not, this is stupid. No, it makes sense. Vision boards. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been a big one for trying to get around um, goal setting vision boards. Where do you want to go? What do you want? And I've got some grandiose plans, like some absolute moonshots of, um, of things that I want to do and want to, and want to own and, and have the ability to fund. Um, there's the, it's not a, but, and, um, there's a lot of that which is not physical, hard, and tangible and material. Um, mm. You know, so for example, um, I want to go. To, I'd love to go to space. Okay, it costs money. Okay, but it doesn't need to. I don't need to. You know, have it sitting here when it, when I get back. Um, I'm a. I'm a big. I've got a, a, a an almost an undying passion for um, for kids education. Like I, I genuinely think my next business venture will be in around understanding the health and physiology and psychology of people to better educate kids because that's, that's a fire, that's a burn in here, but it stems from health, which is understanding, identifying, and then changing behavior. Yeah. And if you think about it, I don't even know, like, that's something I talked a lot with my friends too. Like, what are you going to do with your kids? Because there's the school system. I mean, there's a technology, technology that goes so fast mm. that the school system, which is made of teachers who don't necessarily have a huge passion for technology, mm. they just can't follow it. It's, it's impossible. It's Therefore, as, the kids are there. It's as fucked as healthcare. It absolutely fucked. is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's completely fucked. And then if you go a bit further, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are super, super nice and teachers, but they're not necessarily the ones who are the most driven. Don't even think about AI and all this stuff because it's like yeah. next level. And so how do you educate? Today, I'm almost thinking like, the kids better like learn stuff on YouTube and try out some things when they're 16, 17, 18, like, oh, I want to be a YouTuber, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. Just learn and try to do stuff, try to make money out of it mm -hmm. or go on, you know, Upwork or Fiverr or these freelance platforms and you, you just work for free for some other businesses rather than you go from 18 to, let's say, 25 to university where you're being taught things by professors who are literally in university since 30 years, mm. never got out, yeah. never worked. Yeah. And because otherwise you're spending seven years, you're wasting seven years doing some subjects that are mostly useless when you could be trying out shit and, and yeah, learn yeah, yeah, on, yeah. The, on the fly. So, so what are you thinking about this? How, how would you even start with kind of rethinking the education system? I haven't got there yet, but I want to do it early and I want to do it with a bang. Like, yeah, the two things that have always, I've never understood, like um, a, a true academic that works in research and, and 
I've had the luxury of being able to work with some of the most amazing minds and still do like on our team at the moment, we've got these, these wizards of CPUs. Um, and, but they're in practice, the, uh, the ones that stay in academic research, and I mean, no disrespect by this at all, but it seems like the more you can regurgitate other people's work, the smarter you are in academic mm. world. Like that's, that's plagiarism at its best. And, and, and the entire university system is built on that. Yeah. The ratings of universities based on, oh, where did this professor have this MBA yep. or et cetera, or PhD and yep. the whole thing doesn't make sense. So the, the great ones pull that out and they apply it into, into real world or they work with real world to make, to bring it to life. Um, it's not just sitting on pages and dusty books. The other one is healthcare. You know, like why, why is it that we practice measurement? You should be good at it if you're doing it right. So I think the, the concept here around um, and why I think there's an inertia for it to change and change radically is the consequence of getting it wrong is so dire. Like if you come out and say healthcare, now we're going we're gonna to flip and we're going to do all of this radical stuff over here. The old way is dead. And, and if, if it's wrong, then you know the consequences are so dire. The same, if you if you get education wrong, it doesn't improve with that shift. That's a generation that you've hurt. Mm. And so I think that there's this um, over conservative approach to change, therefore inertia and bureaucracy and red tape. Because if you get it wrong, or if it doesn't do what it should do, then it, it, it's potentially very very damaging. Whereas media, you know. Snapchat, you can just delete, or well, you can't just delete it, but do you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot easier to fail fast, and that mantra works so much easier yeah. with the, the lower consequence um, outcomes. So basically changing the whole thing so that you have higher consequences of failing so that people are forced to to improve the, like, the actual... Yeah. Oh, we've just got to have iteration, and, and we're, I think the, we're where healthcare has got it wrong is that we're expecting it just to pivot and a, and a brand new way of doing it and it will solve all problems. Bullshit, it's not going to work. Like even if we have the best technology here, we've got to have adoption, we've got to have compatibility and we've got to have, um, we've got to have harmonization in the ways of working what we're producing because um, you can have a 65-year-old doctor and this is a real-world problem here in Singapore where they're not adopting these new technology platforms, EMRs, EHRs, technologies, because getting late stage in their career, it's a mm. very, very big change for someone who's been doing something the same way for 40 years. And we've got to solve that as much as we've got to solve security and accuracy and universality in some of these metrics and measurements. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one. But someone has to do it. Ah, I've got an idea. In fact, I've got a company. <laughs> you know, so look, I think that if if um, people are consuming knowledge like like this, like you got to have a bit of fun with your work. Um, yeah. I'm thankful that we're not jumping up on the table shirtless or not yet. Anything. Ah, this not yet. Not yet. End. Not yet. Um, this is when the the water kicks in. <laughs> The, um, the, the, the cool thing about the world these days is that you've got access to different pieces of information. It doesn't necessarily get formalized. I mean, the reason you wear a uniform and the reason why education is what it is was control back into the Fordism era. Yeah. It was production line. It, it was allocation and control. So you got educated and that was specialization of labor. And you wore that uniform because you worked in that part of the manufacturing facility. And that's trickled over into modern day or, or, or K-12 education. And so it's got to change. It's just, it's, again, it's going to be series and we'll see where it goes. Actually, thinking about that, has trickled into education, but also working. You know, these 
eight hours being in the office. I mean, it has a bit changed with uh, COVID, but kind of like the factory work that yeah. that basically continued into the offices. And so what do you do in your company regarding that, especially after what happened with COVID and the kind of way things changed? Because you have this thing where it's kind of a double-edged word. Like you have this thing where you say people need to be in the office because for the culture is much mm -hmm. better. How do you build a, a nice culture where people, where people help each other, the teamwork, all that stuff, mm. which is obviously not the same when you're remote or, or, yeah. or online. Yeah. But at the same time, you also want to break this kind of factory style kind of work that is completely outdated, especially for our generation. Yeah. We're all about kind of purpose. And I don't even want to say work-life balance because at the end of the day, like if you really love what you're doing, you're just going to work like crazy, Look, you know? Yeah, the stats so, around burnout for work from home are bad. Actually, we're, we're more burnt out. We're, we're more stressed and we're less productive. Sorry, we're, yeah, we're less efficient, less productive than um, compared to the pre-pandemic era mm -hmm. um, because work's always there and, you know, yeah. you've always got something else to do. The, the flexibility that come or the, um, the adaptability that you can fit your lifestyle and your work together in a, in a more malleable way rather than Monday, Friday, nine, five. Uh, that's a, that's a great outcome for this. But, you know, I look at back at some of my best memories at work and my biggest learning lessons. Um, it's not been at home, you know, it's been overhearing conversations or being dragged into meetings. It's being forced to sit in front of somebody Changes and say, everything. you are not doing this correctly. Yeah. How do we do this? And, and you, it's a learning opportunity that we've missed. I, I said at the start, I love being around people and I love being around people when they've got a combined goal and they're trying to figure out how to do that better, faster, or, um, or more savvy than, than what we're currently doing, breaking the status quo for a goal. Like that is what we're missing at the moment. And so we're actually localized in the way we've got offices in six countries around the world. So you can't bring everybody together. Mm. I would love everyone to be in the same room, have access to do that every single working day of the week, but it's an impossibility. Uh, but I, th I think we're missing so much of where, um, where a lot of our growth, a lot of our innovation, a lot of our critique, like you don't know it's a shit idea until someone says, Mate, you haven't really yeah. done that right. And, and then you're missing like, that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So let's get into Scott's mind. Oh, okay. All right. You ready? Maybe you... Yeah, can <laughs> Maybe I have the, one of the other bottles? <laughs> <laughs> Someone once said, the man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder, a weight, a nothing, and no man. Have you found your life's purpose yet? And if yet, what is it? In words, and this is where I, I would love some prep on this sort of stuff. So thanks for throwing this right at me. Um, <laughs> the I'm, I'm going to try and give you a, a cool answer, not a shit one, because I've had some shit ones so far. Um, the purpose, I think, is to is to impact and do better. Now that is, that does sound like a shit example, but it's the reason why I'm I'm probably not such a great employee and haven't been. I've worked for myself mm. for a long time, um, and I work with like-minded people exceptionally well. But I also don't like it when there are ways of doing things better and people don't do it. That it breaks mm. me. Um, so I think if anything, there's a purpose of pulling people together to do something better mm. and and greater. And so that's in a work capacity. Um, 
you know, I also don't like being the guy at a dinner party sitting there saying nothing and just laughing at other people's jokes. I like to, I like to weigh in every now and then. <laughs> so that's on a work side. What about if you think like kind of greater, I don't know, are you a spiritual person? Do you think about, or, or in terms of like family or all, like why, why do you think you are on earth? Jesus, we're going big. All right. Um, so it's not just, spiritual, know, just a cre creative not, not spiritual, not religious. Um, I energetic, maybe, you know, I think you can walk into a room and you can feel if it's a, if it's a good vibe or yeah, if it's a bad absolutely. vibe. So how do you feel about the vibe here? <laughs> well, it's starting to warm up, isn't it? It's good. It's good. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, I have children, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I've got three great kids and I've got a great home environment. And so for me, there's, there's gotta be everything that I do in a professional capacity has got to work with that and equally everything that I've got to do with work. Sometimes there's sacrifice. Like I, I do work my ass off and I'm lucky that I love what I do, but I work my ass off. And so by doing that, there's a cost for the home life. I'm not one to sit at home and, and draw pictures with five-year-olds all day. That's not me. So my drive is actually to go out and enable things to happen. So I've got the flexibility to do more of what I want to do with, with those three children. Um, and also friends, like it's a big part of my life. I've got family in different pockets of the world and I want to have the ability to go and see them more than I do at the moment. And the sacrifice of doing what I do with my time now, I choose to do what I do now so that I, I have the ability down the track to do, um, to, to do those things, go and see them more often or to meet them in places or to, do you think you will actually do that? Because you're saying like, I'm working so hard so I can, I don't know, build uh, so much abundance that then I can do whatever I want mm. or. But this is the problem, it, right? It's not, it's not, it's there not. There's no end. Yeah. Yeah. It's not do this, get that. Exactly. It's, it's got to work. It's got to be this, um, this rhythm that works together. And, you know, the, the, the yeah. example I gave in the first year of those twins life is that I didn't really see them because I was choosing to work consecutively or continuously and then coming home and putting my feet up and um, going, Oh, how are they today? And show me a couple of photos. Like that's, that's bullshit. That's not the way to parent. Like I'm not going to be a figure in their way of growing up if I choose to live that way. Yeah. So I made a conscious decision and that's why the dinner time is so important to me. I exercise, I get dinner table time with my kids and then I try and put them down most nights. Um, and then I pick things up after. So I choose that. And that that's good for me because I can get my work done for what I need to do for the articulation of the team, because there's, there's, there's dialogue. It's not a monologue. It's not a dictator anymore. It's different. And then I can do things after, but do I work more hours in a day than the average person? Damn right. I do. Um, but, but it's a conscious decision to do that. Do you feel like since you have kids, your entire life is more meaningful or, and you kind of like feel like, oh, I'm actually doing all this work kind of for them you know, to offer them like more security or or you have your, your mission and you say like, whether I would have like one kid, two kids, zero kids, like my mission would still be the same. And I'm driven like that. And therefore, because I'm so driven, my wife and my kids can trust me to take care of them because nothing can deviate me from my mission, you know? So either like, my question is like, are you like super mission driven? Or is it more like this mission like makes more sense because you have these people to take care of and kind of. I think it's more that, you know, there's, there's never been a question of burn or desire in me to do anything, you know, and if that was um, figuring out a way to get somewhere, if it was a, um, a way of making a team and, and made some great teams in a, in a sporting capacity, there was always a drive to do something always. 
And, you know, I've been told many a times that, you know, I'm always going to do well in life because, you know, even down to <laughs> you like this, buying a, a, a Coca-Cola and a, and a dairy or a, a 7-Eleven equivalent to whatever they are. Um, and the, the label was off ripped and I said, Oh, Oh, what deal are you going to do on this? I'm not paying retail for this. And I was like 13 and the, the lady said, no, that's bullshit. And I said, well, that's rubbish. No one else is going to buy it. So you yeah. sell it to me. Otherwise you throw it out. And it was, it was that. And she said, whatever you do, you're going to go far in life. You know, so little <laughs> examples like that. I've always been driven. There's always a, there's always a, a purpose, but um, it, it's never really been defined or sharp. Um, having kids absolutely does that. And I want them to look back um, in time or in, in future in time and say, I love what dad does. I love how he does it. Mm. Um, but I also love that he's there so that, you know, we can have that relationship so they can be proud. So yeah. they're a big factor in it, of course. How can younger people discover their, their purpose as fast as possible? Um, guys, is, girls, because we're thinking you like, got to try. And, and this is where I, I don't believe in a lot of the, there's too much safety. Helicopter parenting is one of them. Like you need bacteria in your body to develop an immune system. And if you remove all of that trial mm -hmm. and error of a kid, um, and, and whether that be someone who's 25 and thinking about starting a business or whether they're 55 and going, I want to learn to paint, whatever it is, do it. Yeah. Like this whole live in fear of getting it wrong is, is, is a, is a cancer for development and a, and it's an, it's an accelerant for unhappiness. And, and that's just the shittest way to live. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, in French, we say, I don't know if we say this in English, but the regrets are worse than the remorse. Yeah. So the, is it, is it the same permission forgiveness, yeah. you know, um, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of people will say for a lot of situations, it was never really as bad as I thought. Well, no shit. Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't matter if you're learning to surf it and you get thrown over by a wave or you ask your boss for a pay rise the first time, or you write a business plan and it gets completely critiqued by, you know, probably the taxi driver. Like we ask those guys too much wisdom. Um, sometimes it's great, but why are we so needy of feedback? The, the, all of the time. It's okay to get things wrong. It's probably because of the kind of survival instinct of the brain, like how we've been, how we've developed, which is more like, I need to be scared of everything to survive rather than like, fuck it, I'll just try things and see what happens. And, and look at the anxiety and the depressive levels of society these days. The fastest rate of, rate of growth, unfortunately, tragically, of, um, of suicide is, is not male, it's not old. It's young girls and, you know, self-harm when I think it was 18 times the, the standard rate of self-harm for um, emergency department admission in um, a state in Australia went up 17 or 18 times when COVID sat on, you know, that there is so much anxiety in here. And, and it was one of the reasons, the, the main reason that um, initially started what is still um, was, was the most successful um, mental health program we deployed through WellTech was it was okay for us to sit up and say, you need to do 10,000 steps a day and you need to eat, you know, five fruit or five veg and two fruit. And you need three meat through no more than three times a week. Um, you know, you've got to have a balance of protein and carbs, but where was our education on sleep or, or mindfulness, mental health? It was nowhere. And mm. so in a period of about nine months, I had five people within my network, someone knew well, someone didn't. Um, it was through wife or friends and they chose suicide and, you know, from the outside looking in, a lot of those were successful, you know, career driven, 
financially set um, on the outside, beautiful marriages and kids and all sorts. And they chose that and that's tragic. And so I, I just thought that how is it that we can talk about these basics of living physically, but we can't mentally. And so I went to um, my um, sister-in-law who was PhD psych. And I just said, if you, what's the common thing across every, I need 12 points that every single patient hears or, or that you talk about in psychology. And I just wanted to get what those 10,000 steps equivalent for, were for the mind for anxiety. What was the five veg and two fruit equivalent for better sleep? And, and so that was the birth of a, of a program called Mind Your Step. Um, and it was the basics of mental and physical health coming together. So what are those? Like if you like, for example, for anxiety, the most commonly and the, heard this pattern. Is, this is part of the problem with health is it's not just one thing. Like there was a series of things that we, that we went through with um, simple breathing techniques. It was getting to bed at the same time. Yeah. It was understanding that there's a social requirement, like it's a nutrient that we have as individuals. And if we starve ourselves, that's what loneliness manifests in. And so going through these 12 and these were um, academically drawn out and supported by a university down in Australia. Um, but these simple truths of basics, right? It's not rocket science. You know that you should control your macronutrient intake. You know you should move. You know you should sleep. You know you should drink water. Yep. We also know that we should be around people. We should also have alone time. We also know that we need time to recharge and we should have plans and preparation for, it's okay to actually have a day where you just veg out and watch TV, but you can't do that every day. And so these basics came through and, and that was why it was so well received. Yeah. What do you believe today and your belief only gets stronger every day? You got to back yourself. You? Back yourself. You okay. want to go for it? Do it. You sit and think about it. You talk yourself out of it. Um, preparation is so important. But you got to do it. You got to take that leap, and it's something that I'm really proud of. Is that I can look back across this last eight or ten years, in particular, twenty years, um, and say I'm not left wondering. Yeah. You know, um, to to go through what I've been able to do with exiting a company with some with some brilliant people who are still very good friends, um, to then moving to a part of the world which I had no idea about, um, building a company, acquiring a company listing a company publicly on the opposite side of the world, selling that company, and now having the, the trust by a lot of people to mm. hold my position as CEO of AHI, you don't, get, you don't go through that process without fucking up and you don't go through that asking for, without asking for favors, but you don't go through that by wondering. You got to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as, I mean, obviously, but it's almost as simple as that is you think about Even starting a podcast, like you just say, oh, I could do this or that. I'm not really sure. Or you just freaking invite someone and you start to talk mm. and you put it online. Yeah. And then you continue and you continue and you continue. And after, after actually not a, too, too much for a long time, I mean, after a short time or just, uh, let's say a few years, like you look back and like, it's crazy. Like if I just didn't start, like how everything. Yeah. Happened. Yeah. I mean, happened. Obviously, nothing happens alone, but but uh, it's um, very underrated. Actually, most people are always talking. Ah, oh, what do you think about my business idea? I should do that. I think I'm going to start this. But start. Yeah. Like, just start. Like, oh, I'm going to do this online business. Okay. What do you want to sell? I don't know. Some hats. 
just go buy 10 hats and try to sell them to your friends first without an online shop. Like just do it like very small. Yeah, just yeah, try, yeah, just yeah, do. Yeah. And then you'll see like you get excited because if you can sell one, maybe you can sell two. Yeah. Maybe you can sell 20, maybe you can sell 100. Yeah. And it's just this thing where most people just stay stuck at this wandering or kind of this dream. But like if you actually start and go for it, like it, it might just happen. And, and you've, you've, you've got to do it. It's about, it's about movement. It's about conviction and it's about commitment to it. Um, now, there's times where that means withdrawal. It means out. It means I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to back myself to extract myself from this scenario or situation. But you've got to do it. If you just, if you just go with the tide, you'll end up where, the, where everyone else is going. And, and that doesn't excite me. And I think that you know, some of the, the lessons, and it's not always easy. In fact, it's usually harder. But you gotta do it. You gotta back yourself and you gotta go recognize the signals if it's the wrong street and you gotta reverse and then find another one. But without doing that, you just never know. And no one on their deathbed will say, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, around something that they the, the biggest regrets, I think you said right at the start, there was a way that you put it far more elegantly in your accent, but was regrets over remorse. Remorse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So there's a or lot remorse of remorse over regret. I mean, one basically you I think remorse is not I think remorse is when you've done something but it didn't go well, so you're like, oh fuck, I should have done it. Whereas the other one is when you never did it and you will never know. Yeah. Actually you better you better do things and fuck up than just not do them and, and wonder all your life what could have happened. Hundred percent. Now there's a nice way of putting that. I just haven't got it. I need your accent. <laughs> you have a nice accent too. <laughs> you talked about how important your friends are before. Mm. Do you have many friends? Yeah. That's not very common, actually. What's what's your definition of like a friend? I can go into most parts of the world and call someone up and have dinner with them. Okay. I can call people if I've got something on my mind that I want to talk about. And it's not just a two or three people I've got. I do, yeah. I have lots of friends. Do you have a mix of different friends or... Do you have more like, well, I haven't cloned them if that's what you're asking. That's not the same person cloned over and over. No, but for me, <laughs> not yet. That's maybe was something that might happen in the future. Um, in the metaverse or, no. So my question is more, I mean, we met here mm -hmm. in, I think it was in Mandala. Mm -hmm. So with a bunch of common friends or acquaintances that are fairly or very successful. Do you also have some friends who are, kind of more normal yeah less so in Singapore because I think that there's a self-selection process to get here in the first place um mm -hmm. you know I've got um unfortunately I've got friends that are that have been dear friends and I've lost touch with but um that have the on all the way through the spectrum from homeless living on the streets all the way to what we find here in Singapore mm -hmm. um and you know good friends from you know, vocation perspective, pretty much across the, the, the gamut, um, different ages as well. I've got some very old friends. I've got some very young friends. So I think that there's a, you know, one of my tonics is that, that I just love being around people a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky because my work takes me to some pretty cool places and mm -hmm. I get to meet very interesting people. And, you know, I, li I like to hold on to those. Uh, a, a guy here actually, um, Gibbo once said, a, a network is no burden to carry. And so, you know, as long as you're good to it and, and that's about being a citizen to that network as well, not just take, 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 you've yeah, got to support keep, that. Yep. 
um, it's a it's a great thing to not go shit. I've got no one to call. That's something that a lot of people need to hear actually, because a lot of, a lot of people are takers. Mm. You just take, 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 and you don't, don't understand that actually so much so that if you go and you just do something and they're always wondering like, what is this person wanting? Like just no, just take this, take this, take this, because I know like if I give you karma or whatever energy, like it's gonna give something back to me. Hopefully one day. <laughs> um, you're creating it here. This is this is amazing what you what you do. It's doing. very cool actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, so um, actually podcasting is absolutely amazing for friendship and this kind of net is amazing. My God, I, and I knew it already before, but the more I do it, the more I'm like, it's absolutely amazing. That kind of like connections, like actual real connection mm. that you can make out of that is uh, is crazy. Some men say that they can only be friends with other, let's say men in this example, who can help them make money. <laughs> what do you think about that? Who are your mates? <laughs> that's bullshit. I, I think the same, but like there yeah. is some people who just say, if you're not going to be in my life to bring me something where you actually can help me make money in one way or another, I don't have time for you because as you said before, time is very limited and I, I need to choose as an adult because I have so many things to do, work, at some point you have a family, you have kids, you have your sport, like, like you actually have not that much time for your friends. So like they say, I want to be friends only with people who can help me, help me make money. And you're saying it's bullshit. Well, look, that just would not be a friend of mine. Yeah, you know, and, that's good. And I think the yeah, there's there's an element, and I do. There's a theme of luck, but there's also good management around a lot of things as well. If you let shit into your life, then you're around shit, yep. and um, no one's ever going to get it perf perfect. But if you live by some pretty pretty good principles, most of the time, then most of the time you're going to enjoy where you are. Um, so by luck, by luck, and by management. I have a lot of people that I know. I have a lot of those people that I know that I can call friends. Mm -hmm. And I have very few um, that, uh, well, I think anyway, because you never know until you really know, yeah. I have very few that I think would be attaching to me to make the money because uh, it's just, that's not my, my jam. Mm -hmm. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, this one I can answer. Um, yes! <laughs> we got one. So, um, <laughs> my old man, dad, he said, whatever you do, just make sure that wherever you are in the world, you can walk into a bar and hold your head high. Okay. Awesome. Very so, and I, I love the analogy because it's so functional and so factual. It doesn't mean that you have to go out and invent a rocket to take you to the moon the quickest. Um, Elon's trying to do that. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to be a billionaire or a gazillionaire. It's, it, it's so true in all situations and uh, it's cross-cultural, it's cross-time but you don't want to walk in and have to duck because shit, I screwed over that guy or I was an asshole to that woman. Like you, you don't want yeah. that at all. And it's something that I've lived by for a long, long time. It's kind of the same as a, the, the, I want to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. Like whatever same principle. I do, same I principle. this one actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the... Well, and there's, there's probably people that'll disagree with me because uh, you got to break eggs to make omelets sometimes. But mm -hmm. um, I think as a, as a rule or a theme, um, then that's definitely one that stuck with me for a long, long time now. What's something that you believe in that most people would not agree with? Oh, here's one that I can't explain very well. Um, but memory is a collect. So every cell in your body has all of your memory. Okay. Uh, the more cells that you put together, the 
more detailed that memory gets. And so what is apparently known, and, and some of your listeners might actually know better um, because they're more currently read, but there's no part of your brain that if you cut out, you lose all memory. Um, there's aspects that contribute to it. So think of it like a hologram. The more cells you put together or the more particles you put together, the richer that that hologram is and therefore memory. Um, and a lot of people think that, so I give the analogy that memory is a hologram and people don't believe me on that. So that's the one that comes to mind. Um, what else do people not believe me on? Ah, oh, that New Zealand has a summer. <laughs> that's from my wife. <laughs> Apparently it gets cold there a lot of the year, but um, Wellington, one of the greatest cities um, to be in for at least five days a year when the sun's shining. Otherwise, you just say, like, move to Singapore and, well, and the, see what having summer all year looks like. Heat all year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bucketing outside at the moment. If there was a key takeaway from today, what would it be? Um, it would be to find your biggest fuck up and bring it so I could give you an answer because that's, that's, <laughs> that's the bit that I'm going to walk away with here most ashamed that I don't have one for you. Um, look, this is, a, this is an amazing environment. I think if, if everyone could see or hear you know, this room and, and what you put together, it's phenomenal. Um, it's just the start. It's, uh, it's just the start. It's an impressive start, mate. Like, I, I, I think that's it. Um, shooting from the hip, I love it. You know, um, there's always a bit of apprehension with a, with a mic in your grill. Um, but I think uh, probably my biggest takeaway here is um, I'd love to come back. Amazing. Because, because I love what you're doing. Amazing. And... Wow. Also, <laughs> if you have some people like who you think would potentially like to come here, we'll definitely can talk about that because like we're always looking for like bright minds and people who are doing amazing things to talk. No, I, th I really do think that this amplification of experience, of ideas, of conflict, you know, um, and, and challenging um, is brilliant. The world needs way more of it because we don't get it from formal education. We've got to yeah. find it elsewhere. And without people like you doing what you're doing, um, where does it come from? And most of the things online are also, as you said before, instant gratification. Therefore, people want instant, instant hacks yeah. and solutions to every problem. But yeah. that's not how it works. So yeah. like what we're trying to do here is like going into the real like the, the, the mind of the people and understanding, like especially people who are really successful or who are doing really cool things. We do a lot of also you know, biohacking, functional mm. medicine, everything. Mm. Entrepreneurship, crypto, investing. And so the, the key thing is really trying to bring a mindset of like, and when you say, I think when you say, oh man, like it's kind of boring what I'm saying. Boring is good because boring is what works. Discipline, repetition, compounding, all the same thing over and over again. That's what works, but that's what people don't want mm. because they want the overnight, the overnight success, the eight days overnight success, not the eight years overnight success and all that stuff. Like it's something that is so important. And, and that's why I think also most people will kind of never make it. And even, especially in this generation, our generation, even like younger ones, you're used to this Snapchat, TikTok, these videos are 10, mm. 20 seconds. Actually, this podcast, we do videos that are 30 to 60 seconds because we know that's what people consume today, but that's not how they're going to learn yeah. the real shit. Like they need to listen to this one hour and 27 minute podcast to, to understand. So yeah, that's what you watch this year because the, the last 
eight or nine months of, you know, spoken about my personal journey going through into WellTech being acquired late last year, um, and now into a byproduct of that acquisition and another one from earlier in that year by this company has put together a phenomenal group of people, small group of people, but holy shit, are they talented. Now, when you get that talent in coordination, in harmony, <clears throat> you can build great things. Mm. And mark my words, what's the date today? 23rd. 23rd of May. 23rd of May. Six months time. Have a look at the company again and just come back to this day because cool. what we are doing and what we are bringing to the world is a change. It's not a step change. It's not an incremental adjustment. It is a game change in the way that people can access biometric mm. insights. And that thing there means that we're absolutely all passionate and driven about what we're trying to achieve. And it's very simple. It's very simple. Can we get biometric information non-invasively, contactlessly, anywhere, anytime using a mobile phone? The answer is yes. And we're proving that to the world at the moment. Now, put that together with wicked smart minds. You have a hell of a laugh doing it. You work your ass off. And you celebrate like shit when it happens because it's going to happen. So in six months time, you come back here and we celebrate on this table, shirts off, cameras off. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, Scott. Where can people learn about you and even follow you or connect with you? Uh, so all of the, probably the usual professional angles uh, and methods. Uh, so LinkedIn, Um, our company website is ahi.tech, nice and simple. Um, I'm not a big Instagram or Twitter user, so via LinkedIn. Um, otherwise, give you a call, Kevin, and uh, you can put us in touch. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. Mate, thank you oh, so much for fun. having me. And guys, if you've endured this whole, uh, whole audition, then I appreciate your time thinking about the history. Amazing. Thank you. Love it, mate. Thank you. Thank you.